We're going to be in Joshua chapter 1 today. Uh, Joshua 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 uh, to begin our time together today. Uh, we're beginning a brand new study that I'm really excited about that's going to be in the book of Joshua. Um, and I cannot wait to kind of go chapter by chapter through um, this book together. Uh, not the whole book, but some of the um, uh, high spots of the book. Um, I believe that God has a great message for us from a book that we just doesn't get talked about enough and we haven't studied it near enough here as a church. So um, Joshua chapter one, not um, too hard to find. Just go past the first few books uh, and uh, you'll come to Joshua. If you found your place, Joshua one, verse one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan and you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, to the children of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go." Now, I really believe our time in Joshua is going to bring tremendous guidance and direction to our church, to our relationships with God, uh, whether you're considering one, just started one, or whether you have known and walked with him for a long time. Uh, this study is going to be a light and a pathway for every one of us. And I really believe that this is a perfect study for us as a church um, at this point in the year. Uh, we've spent most of our time this year with our Bibles open to some very foundational truths and subjects. Uh, and, and I feel like based on what God has been talking to us about and what the Holy Spirit has been bringing to us uh, in our house and through our conversations around his word, uh, this is the logical next step for us to take at this point in the year. And if uh, you haven't been with us for all of our meetings this year, I still think this study will be equally effective and enlightening uh, because God's word is dynamic and has something to offer all of us always. Uh, so for the next little while, we're going to be coming together around the book of Joshua, which is, of course, an Old Testament book. Um, the book of Joshua, maybe you've read it before, but just kind of a quick summary of it. The book of Joshua is about the people of God coming into possession of the promised land. So the two big things about Joshua is it's written to the people of God, about the people of God, and about them coming into possession of something that had been promised to them for generations. It's about them stepping into this promised land. It was almost mythical at this point. For hundreds of years, they'd heard about it, they talked about it, they prayed about it, they dreamed about it, and finally, this is the story of them coming into it. 
Now, to set the table for the study, I want to establish two things that are very important. Really, whenever you study any book of the Bible, um, when you open to any text, old or new, um, any particular subject that you study, um, these are two important things to bring to the table with any Bible conversation. So the two things I want to make sure we talk about up front today is context and correlation. Context is as in the historical interpretation of the book. So we need to make sure we understand what is going on in John. Joshua historically before we can correlate it to our current place in history, our current situations, and, and, and bring about the spiritual application relative to how Christianity takes the stories of the Old Testament, the examples of the Old Testament, and uh, applies it to us spiritually and personally. So we're not going to cover context first, and then we'll talk about how this correlates to us, how this translates to us, how this applies to us, because I'm so very glad to tell you that it does uh, bring a lot of application for us. So you'll notice Joshua is pretty early on in the story of God, in the story of redemption that we call the Bible. Um, it's the sixth book of the Bible. And uh, of course, the first five books of the Bible were all written by Moses. This is the first book that Moses isn't, isn't the writer. And, and of course, the first in a little while where he has not been the center of the story. The story begins by telling us that Moses is no longer with us. So uh, the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses as given by God. The first five books of the Bible um, are often referred to as the Torah, which is the Hebrew word for the law. The, the first five books of the Bible are referred to and called the law. And that's why verse eight refers to the book of the law. That's referring to, at this point in history, the whole counsel of God's word. Now, when you hear the law, you may think commandments. You may think, well, that's just referring to the 10 commandments. That's just referring to Exodus or Leviticus. But no, this is referring to all of God's word, not because it's full of commandments, but because it's full of promises. You see, to the Hebrew people, the law didn't so much remind them of what they had to do, but it reminded them of what God had done and what he promised to do. So when we hear law, we hear restriction, we hear commandments, we hear do's and don'ts, and we think, I don't know about that. But when the Hebrew people heard the law, they heard this is a record of what God has done and a record of what he has promised to do and how he wants to change our lives. And I think it means the same thing to me and you. You see, the law really refers to the, uh, the, the presiding principle by which God operates and governs. That the first five books of the Bible reveal God's heart to us. They reveal to us kind of God's mode of operation. And if we've read these books, we know the only law that God operates under or by is victory. God is defined by and driven by a determination to save, to redeem, and restore his people. So the law that God operates by is, hey, I'm going to get my people to a place of victory. I'm going to save my people. I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to restore my people. That is what drives the very heart of God. And I think that's still true about God today. So from his plans over us, his path for us, his MO is to do that which saves, restores, and redeems. Calls us to do that which saves, restores, and redeems. So why are the first five books of the Bible called the law? 
Because it's in those five books that we are introduced to God's heartbeat, the law by which he abides and operates, his plan and his intentions to save us and sustain us. So we've read the first five books or you've scanned them before, right? Genesis introduces uh, how God created the world yet gave us a free will and humanity rebelled against him and fell from his glory. So God, because he's a God of victory, a God of salvation, a God of restoration and redemption, God put a plan in motion to save and redeem and restore humanity. Isn't that incredible that a perfect God had a backup plan, not because he would fail, but because he knew that we might fail. God in his holiness and perfection. More than that, he is a God of salvation and a God of redemption. So God went to work as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, God put a plan in motion to save them and redeem them one person at a time. And people were not always easy to work with if you've read the story. If you've looked in the mirror, you can vouch for that. We're not always cooperating with God, are we? It was no different for the Old Testament and the early parts of the Bible. God picked a man named Abraham and he gave Abraham a family. And through that family, he made a nation. Before they became a nation though, this world tightened its grip around humanity. This world flexed its muscle over humanity. Abraham's family became slaves in a place called Egypt, which was ruling the world at the time. For 400 years, they were in bondage and oppression, yet God had a plan. He always does. God wanted to send a message through time to all who suffer and all who are unjustly treated that his salvation and his victory and his redemption plan would always be there, would always include them. God performed miracles, signs and wonders to bring his people out of slavery, to exert his power over Egypt, to announce to the world there was one God. The fall had clouded humanity's vision and understanding of the origin and connection to the one true God. But through the story of Exodus, God began to reintroduce himself. He began to reveal himself to the world that had left him. Exodus 7 says the whole purpose of this story was so that the Egyptians would know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring my people out of them, I'm sending a message through time. There is one God, his name is Yahweh. That's the Hebrew word for Lord. He is the only God. And through the story of Exodus, this was made well known. From there, Abraham's family, now called Israel, were led through the wilderness by Moses for 40 years. They came to a mountain where God would reveal himself to them more and they would worship him and learn from him. At Mount Sinai, Moses received revelation from God, learning the history, which is the book of Genesis, writing that down, receiving God's perfect will for humanity, recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The laws, the commandments that you read in those books, they stand in contrast to our nature. Israel proves that it's a struggle to adopt and realize God's will in our lives. Israel proves that sin tries to fight against God's plan for us. Sin holds us back. God says, this is the way, and sin says, not gonna be the way. So there's this tension we read about in those stories. Not because, uh, not because the people of God uh, wouldn't have done well to adopt God's will, but because sin fought against it. For this reason, if you read the book of Leviticus, God also gave a system to forgive them of their sins. He put a system in motion that would forgive their sins and promise to deliver them of their sins. 
If you've ever read the Old Testament, somebody ever comes to you and says, well, the, the, you know, the only way you can please God is you've got to obey every commandment. Understand this, the very chapter after God gives the Ten Commandments, he institutes a sacrificial system because he knew they could not keep them. He knew they were not able to keep them. It was about proving to them they needed him to forgive them and deliver them of their sins. The book of Numbers tells, them, uh, tells us of their struggle to obey God. Deuteronomy reiterates that God plans to save the world from its sin, to enable us to walk in his blessings. He would do this through a savior which would come through the nation of Israel. But before he brought that savior to the world, he wanted to use Israel to reveal himself to the whole world beyond just Egypt. That's what the rest of the Old Testament's about. Israel establishing itself, influencing the rest of the world. God began connecting the world linguistically and, and economically and politically. And, and, and he did this as at the stage for his savior to make the biggest splash possible and help contribute to the further development of the world. Until then though, the story of Israel is a picture of where God wants to take all of us, where he wants to take the whole world after his plan of redemption was realized in full through Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus died for our sins. We know that he died once and for all, which is in contrast to the old covenant, this system of daily repeating sacrifices at an altar. By faith in Jesus, we find the ability to walk in God's will and obey his word and experience his promises. So here's where the context and the correlation might, uh, where they meet and they lead us into a study of Joshua. Contextually, Joshua is the story of Israel coming into the promised land where they would live as God's people and continue his redemption plan. Israel wants to fully and finally experience the promises because of their salvation or they fail to because their salvation was just in part. So as we read about the story of Israel in Joshua and beyond, Israel always just misses getting the full blessing of God because their salvation was just in part. It was just a picture, it was a preview. And here's where this correlates for us. Exodus is a picture of us all coming out of sin, all coming out of bondage. Whereas the Jews experienced this in symbolic fashion and met with God under a temporary system. We come to God through Jesus, totally and completely saved from sin and forgiven of sin. Hebrews contrast it like this. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You know why he sat down? Because he was done. It was finished. His job was complete. That right hand of God is the power of God. It's the sign that Jesus Christ has the power in his hand. And because of his single sacrifice, what he says is law. What he says is as it can be. So that you who trust in Christ can now walk in God's plan and live by his plan. So in Christ... We can now step into the promised land or the promised life of a believer. The book of Joshua in that sense is a picture of the next step we can all make and we can all take in Christ. So every one of you has a next step to take. You hear me say this a lot. Everybody has a next step. 
whether it's beginning a relationship, continuing a relationship, at some point we're all gonna end, we're all gonna pass away. So everybody, all of us have a next step. The first step in the race, the middle leg of the race, the end of the race. All of us, whether you are just saved or you've been saved, whether you are nine or 90, all of us have a next step to take in Christ. You see, Joshua is a picture of Jesus. He leads the people into the promised land. Moses couldn't. Moses is the old covenant. It cannot save us, but Jesus can. Joshua does what Moses could not do, pointing to how Jesus would do what the old could not and cannot do. Moses promised that God would send a greater prophet after him. Joshua is a picture of Jesus, a picture of our Savior. So the book of Joshua is a perfect place for us to camp out in and study at this point in our year together because it shows Israel taking that next step into the promised land. And whereas they would be stunted or frustrated by their yet incomplete salvation and only partial connection to God, we who know Jesus, who have true salvation, full salvation, we can step in without any hindrance. We can walk into the promised land, the promised life that's available to every Christian. That's if, if we have totally surrendered to God's plan and we continue to trust his pathway to lead us to our desired destiny as the people of God. Now, the first chapter of Joshua is a great primer for what's ahead in this book and what can be ahead for you and me. It's gonna give us some invaluable, extremely useful, indispensable advice from God. You ever ask somebody for advice and you got something from somebody you thought, man, I gotta write that down because this is, this is world changing. Maybe from your mom, your dad, your grandparents, somebody that you think a lot of. This chapter gives us advice from God himself. The whole Bible is of that, of course, but Joshua 1 gives us some extremely, just priceless advice from our God. And it also gives us some incredible reminders that are never changing, promises that will never change. As they were over Joshua, they're over us. This story picks up. The nation of Israel has assembled around a mountain just outside the promised land. Their battle strategy is in place. They've been preparing for years. But then all of a sudden, something they didn't expect happens. Moses has been called up the mountain. And he's been up there a little while. And turns out, he's not coming down. They begin to hear whispers that down the channel of, of men that were on the mountain. They begin to hear whispers that Moses isn't going to come back down the mountain, that Moses is going to die up there. And this is a symbol, of course, of that old covenant that never gets us there, that never takes us the whole way, pointing us to Jesus. Narratively, though, the enthusiasm goes down at this point. They were excited, now they're depleted because they realize Moses isn't coming back. And without his leadership, they feel helpless. And all of a sudden, a voice from God calls on Joshua, Moses' assistant. I mean, this was like the intern, right? Moses' assistant gets appointed as their new leader. And nobody has confidence in Joshua. Joshua has never been a leader before. He's always been an assistant. He's always been a sidekick. But now he's got to step up to the plate and lead the people of God in. But as God calls Joshua, the rest of the people begin to tremor. The rest of the people begin to take steps back. The people begin to think, we're never getting in at this point. But if you look down at verse number two, and I've highlighted some words and I put on the screen for you. God says to Joshua, now arise, go over 
into the land that I'm giving you. And I want you to highlight in your Bibles that word now, that word arise, that word go over. And maybe your translation is a little bit differently, but something like those words are in there. Now arise and go. No more delays. It's been long enough, guys. Y'all have been waiting for this moment. You're finally here. And it's time you take that next step. At this point, everybody's nervous. Everyone's uneasy. Everyone's uh, uh, worried about something, yet they've anticipated this moment for decades. Isn't that something we can relate to? Somewhere, uh, sometimes a lot of us are right there. And I think sometimes we have this kind of religious experience about this, that we talk about something for so long that when we finally get a chance to do it, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Have you ever been there? That you talk about it, you pray about it, you plan for it, you're excited about it, and you finally get to that point of realizing it. And it's almost like you just don't even want to do it. You don't know that you can do it. You begin to tell yourself that it's just not going to happen. Why is that? Why do we psych ourselves out of the very thing we've been excited about that we have been dreaming of for years? I think as Christians, we can relate to this. Christians do a lot of talking about following God. We love to talk about God's will. We say things like, I really need to, I really want to, but we don't do a lot of it, do we? We talk about it, we need to, we want to take that next step. And and I think this is a posture that many make towards God and the things of God. A lot of people who aren't even Christians, well aware that they should be, or that they should have a relationship with God, we perpetually put those things off. Maybe you're someone who you always put the things of God off. You always say things like, well, I need to and I want to, but you just never do. I don't think so many of us can have this same experience and it not be something that is in our nature. Can you? I mean, every one of us, we've been here right on the cusp of realizing something we've always wanted, always needed, always planned for. But when we finally get the chance, it's like part of us says, I don't know about it. I don't believe I can do it. I don't know if it's actually something that's possible. There is within all of us something that loves talking about what we should do, but also is reluctant to actually do it. We've heard that sermon before where Paul and King Agrippa are talking about Jesus and Agrippa says, almost you've persuaded me. Let me tell you what Joshua is. Joshua signals the end of the almost generation. For 40 years, a generation has been walking around a mountain, making no progress, talking about it, needing it, wanting it, dreaming about it, praying about it, but none of them actually did anything. And now Joshua has been given the baton, he's been given the leadership, he's been given the calling to step up, to rise up, and to step into the promised land. If you go back and read the end of Deuteronomy 34, God calls Moses up and God lets Moses see it all. He lets him see all the mountains, all the wonders, all the sights. But God says, Moses, I'm not going to let you see it. I'm not going to let you go into it. I am, you're going to come to heaven with me. You're 120 years old. You've lived a good life. But this is a picture of how this generation has been an almost generation. But now I'm starting something new with Joshua. The Lord showed Moses all he was about to give them, but Moses did not get to experience us, experience it. And a lot of us, we're content just looking at it 
and thinking about it, aren't we? Moses lays his hands on Joshua and God says, Joshua's gonna be the man that leads the people into that land. Now think about all that Christianity offers us. The presence of God in our life, the power of God through our lives to overcome obstacles, to face giants, to make a difference for the kingdom of God. We have the opportunity and the chance every day to counter the hatred in this world with love, the conflicts in this world with peace, the chaos in this world with confidence. And yet so many of us settle for something less. We still come so close to it. We confess it, we pray about it, we claim to believe it. I mean, think about all the stuff that we confess in church, the things that we read in the Bible, the things that we sing about, the things that we pray about, the things that we claim that we believe. So many of us are kind of used to this religious experience of coming to church and getting a view of it, but walking out, never taking possession of it. Let me just say this. If, If that's Christianity to you, it's better than that. See, Satan uses religion to numb us and deaden our anticipation for more. He uses religion to make us content with just observing what God has in store for us, just watching, but never possessing. Satan uses religion as an IV drip of stagnation and idleness. And so many of us walk into buildings week after week and we get put on the line and we look at it We talk about it, we pray about it, we hope for it. But when it comes to going and getting it, when it comes to stepping into it, and and isn't it true that we kind of make this experience, well, you know, I feel bad, I wish I would, I know I should, but I'm just never gonna get there. Come on, how many of us have made a religion around feeling bad of saying things like I should, maybe one day, maybe next time, maybe someday down the road. How many of us have always put it off? Like it's just not that important. How about today? That's what Joshua is about. It's about today, stepping into the promised life that God has been showing us for years. Today, all over the scripture, we hear Joshua referenced in this line of thought as the book that calls us to act today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not a decade from now. Today, Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 says, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. As in the day that God wants to make a difference in your life, a day that God wants to equip you and empower you and enable you to take that next step you've been putting off. Hebrews 3, in reference to Joshua or the previous generation, today if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion, as in the wilderness, speaking of that 40 years before Joshua. Let me ask you, church, what are you waiting on What are you making excuses about? What do you continually delay and put off that you know is too important to be doing that with? I I believe that God has a calling over every one of your lives. I believe that. As a pastor, it's my spiritual job, my spiritual calling, my obligation to help you understand that God wants to equip every one of you for some kind of ministry, for some sort of spiritual purpose in your everyday life, from your workplace to your place of recreation, in your family. God has given every one of you talents and gifts that only you can use and only you can make a difference with. What have you been putting off that God is calling you to do? 
I mean, maybe if we're being honest, we're not even asking God what he wants to do with our lives. Maybe we come to church week after week after week and we know, you know, the story of Samuel and Eli, speak for your servant listens. Maybe we just don't even ask that. We don't say that because we don't know what God might do with our life. We're not ready for that. We don't have time for that. We don't got room for that. What calling over your life are you putting off? Let me ask you, regarding your families, your marriages, your your important relationships, what responsibility are you neglecting? What do you keep putting on the shelf? Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next couple years. What sin are you hanging on to that maybe nobody notices, nobody even has any idea about, but you know? What sin are you holding on to that is a leech, is a leak in your life? And it's slowly getting worse. It's taking more. It's draining you of more. See, I believe God starts this narrative right out of the gate in Joshua to exclaim and underscore emphasize this message. Joshua is the book of the Bible that confronts us in our complacency, in our idleness, in our excuses, in our almost, and says, now arise and go into the life that God has chosen for you. Now, this is obviously a message that's repeated throughout the Bible. The Apostle Paul, once he becomes a Christian, he realizes what he'd been missing. He says in 1 Corinthians 16, a wide door for effective work is open for me. He said, I I thought my life, I thought I had it made. I was going through these narrow little doors every day from house to house, from place to place, from point to point. I was checking boxes. I was fulfilling this world's plan for me. But when I started following Jesus, a wide door opened to me. But make no mistake, there are many adversaries and those adversaries are not out there with pitchforks. They're in here. They're in the mirror for a lot of us. So I want to address a few of those adversaries that God addresses here in Joshua. But let me just say this. Those things in you that say, not today, those things that make you delay and put off, they are Satan's number one, I I believe they're, they're demonically inspired words that he puts in our hearts. Maybe one day, not today. Maybe later, but not today. A couple of things in the second verse I, I think would be remiss to ignore. There's an understanding that our past sometimes can hold us back, that our staticness maybe causes us to feel stuck. Two things this verse does as it spurs us along in God's will. Verse two, God wants Moses to accept, and I know this might be a little bit crass, but he says, Moses is dead. Well, I know he's dead. We just had a funeral for him. But no, Joshua, Moses is dead that point of your life is over. That phase of your life is over. The past is behind you. But then he also says, I want you to now arise, go over this Jordan, go over this obstacle, because the Jordan River was a wide sweeping rushing river that they thought they could not cross. Do you hear what God is saying in this verse? It's time to move on from the past As much sentiment as there is, as much emotion as there is, as hard as it is for you to imagine moving on, it's time to move on and it's time to get over whatever current obstacles you've allowed to intimidate you. You see what God is equipping us with here? 
under God's empowering command to step into the promised land. God is saying nothing from your past can hold you back and nothing in your future can keep you back. You may have a troubled past. You may have a tumultuous future, but this is your inheritance This is God's will for your life, that you step into the life he's planned for you. God wants you to have relationships and opportunities in which and through which you can honor him. Just because you've had an embarrassing episode in your past, broken relationships, messy and missed opportunities, it doesn't mean that God does not have something new planned for your future. And if you face some bumps in the road as you make progress or try to make progress, it doesn't mean that God is not still leading you I mean, here's Joshua. They can't get over Moses. He was the guy for 40 years. He was the guy that parted the water. He was the guy that did all the miracles and did all the wonders and that gave all the commandments. How can we move on from this? And and God just has to get kind of blunt with Joshua. Listen, buddy, Moses is gone. He's not coming back. Your past is behind you. And this Jordan that's in front of you, it will not stop you from progress. I believe God is telling us in this verse that Satan's past victories over you or his future attacks on you and against you, they do not have more power over you than God's redemption plan. Do you see that? That Satan's past victories or his future attacks or whatever this world throws at you do not have more power over you than God's redemption plan does on you and through you. And, And listen, this isn't a mind game, but it is a matter of determination. It is a matter of devotion, of focus, of faith and faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 10, listen to Paul talk about this subject. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Let me explain that. Paul's saying in the battles that you face in this life, our enemies are not people we see. They're not people that we can point at or things that we can look at in this world. Our enemies, for the most part, come from the enemy of God, come from these things that try to hold us back. Things in our mind that say, you can't do that. It's not possible. Our past that tries to hold on to us, our future that tries to intimidate us. But listen to what Paul says in this next verse. We can destroy argument and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So winning the battles, winning the war, It's about how we process what we see. It's about whose power you are submitting to, God's or this world's. Speaking of which, verse three and four, listen to how very specific, very matter of fact God is about the boundless potential for his people. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread on, I will give you. From the wilderness to the great river, from, from the land of the Hittites, the great sea, going down the sun, he just makes sure that they, he covers all the bases. There's different types of territories, but highlights what he says in verse three, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. Now, I think this is a callback to how God first called Moses. Remember, Moses was on the run. He killed one of the Egyptian guards. He was bloodstained. He was a fugitive. He was a shepherd on the backside of the desert. 
he felt disqualified. He felt as if he had made a fool of himself. He felt like he could never make a difference for God ever again. He looked down in disappointment and, and looked at the hundreds of thousands of grains of sand that all looked the same. To him, that was a place of worthlessness and he felt useless. Remember what God said to him? Take your sandals off for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Moses, I know that you think you're just in the middle of a desert. I know you think you have burnt every bridge. I know you think you have used up all your chances, but I am redefining, I am transforming your situation. I'm convincing you that my calling over you transcends whatever situation you're in. God was telling him, and he's telling us, to change the way we look at our circumstances, reinterpret them, redefine them, reframe them, allow God to redeem every scenario around this new reality, through this new lens, that where he was and what he was going through was not irredeemable. It wasn't a sign that he should throw in the towel. God tells Moses and he tells Joshua as well that the ground you're on, it's holy. This is a divine appointment. And what I think God is trying to say to you and me in light of what he was commanding Joshua regarding every place he steps from the highlands to the lowlands to the badlands, all ground is holy and every appointment is divine. What if you begin to see life through this lens? And I get there's some seasons that you don't want to think, you don't want to associate with God because it makes you feel bad about God. I'm not saying that everything is sanctioned by him, but I believe strongly that everything is redeemable. Everything can be redeemed by him and for him. That everywhere you step is holy ground. Every appointment is a divine appointment. Listen, he's not the God who says chin up and climb out. He's the God who took it on the chin for us and was cast out for us. The cross informs this, actually takes what he's saying to Joshua and adds power to it. Because to Joshua's generation, this was about time and place. This was about land for them. But for us, it's about life. It's about being empowered and encouraged by God's promises and God's plans. I think a lot of us, we live in a world where we're, all, we're so emotional, we're so influenced by what's trendy and what's popular and, and, and where everybody's at and where everybody isn't at. A lot of us, we wake up and before you know, the first hour of the day goes by, we're either hyped up for the day or we're deflated because we allow our circumstances, we allow our situations, we allow our scenarios to define us. But God says, Joshua, before you ever go there, I want you to go ahead and come, come to terms with this. Everywhere you step is holy. Every appointment is divine. All of a sudden you see that God is involved in everything and God is wherever you are. And all of a sudden you realize that there is nothing that is in vain. There is nothing that is irredeemable. There is nothing that is without the purpose of God. Look at verse five. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. What are you most sensitive to? God's claim on you and presence with you or the uneasiness and discomfort this world gives you? As we live this life, we face opposition, we face altercations, we will make mistakes and others will cause trouble for us. 
But what God promises us in this verse is that nothing you come, nothing you come up against has the power to intimidate you or overwhelm what's true about me. I will never leave you and will never forsake you. You may feel abandoned, you may feel isolated, you may feel vulnerable, you may feel forsaken, but remember this, no matter who you face or what you face, I am with you and nobody is gonna get rid of me in your life. Not even your own sin. Nothing is gonna separate me and you. Do you hear that? Nothing we can do, nothing they can do. Now, I don't know who they is for you, but everybody has a they. They're the problem. Well, I don't know. I don't care what they're doing. They can't separate you from God and his saving, redeeming, victorious plan for you. Don't render them power that they don't have. Verse six and seven bring us more confidence and more assurance from God. We hear this repeated twice, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and very courageous, verse six and verse seven. Joshua says, God says, Joshua, this is your inheritance. I'm calling you to lead this, to give this to the people. I'm calling you to lead the people in this place, in this pathway. You see, God is trying to condition Joshua so that he would condition the people. Don't allow circumstances to distract you. Don't allow anyone to discourage you. Don't allow anything to define you. Walk with God the Lord. Don't look left, don't look right. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at them or that. Proving true what Paul says in Galatians, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Your flesh desires to bring you down, to break you down and separate you from God's promises. And your flesh is very good at doing that. My flesh is very good at doing that. Our flesh is very good at doing that. The only hope for us is to be strong and of good courage, not to be distracted or discouraged or defined by this world, but to walk with God and him alone. The last reminder only adds to the blessing of this text. Verse eight and nine In verse eight, God says, Joshua, I don't want the book of the law to depart from your mouth. I want you to consume it, meditate on it, for this is how you will find success, not in a monetary, worldly way, but in a spiritual way. And then God reminds him, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Being a student of God's word prepares us for life in the promised land. God tells Joshua to study this whole book to him, it was just the first five. To us, it's the whole 66 volume Bible that we have. In verse nine, we hear God state what his overarching law is for Joshua and for us. The word of God will make us strong and courageous, helping us to overcome our weaknesses and our fears. You've got weaknesses, I know. There's no reason for us to pretend. You have weaknesses, I have weaknesses, we have weaknesses. Every one of us has weaknesses, not just a weakness. We have weaknesses. The only way for us to be strengthened is by the word of God, by the commandments of God, by the spirit of God. There's no reason for us to put on a front or put on a guise or put on some sort of delusion to the world. Of course we're weak. 
The word of God is our only help, the only hope we have. Of course we're scared. Of course we're cowards. I mean, hey, we could go all day about what we're afraid of. We're afraid of a lot of things. Emotionally, you know, in, in, economically, politically, we're all afraid of so much. But the only source of courage we have is that God is with us and that God will not leave us nor forsake us. So what do we find from God's word? Abiding by and obeying God's word equips us for life in the promised land, life in the unrestrained presence of God. So often we think of God's law as holding us back when it's really about propelling us forward. Because remember, God's, God abides by one law, the law of victory, the law of salvation, the law of redemption. Joshua 1 is his call over all of us, all of you, to step into a life of victory, salvation, and redemption. We, we allow this world to defeat us and dominate us and enslave us in so many ways. Joshua 1 guides us and props us up by his promises and his plans. Our unforgettable past tries to hold us back. The unknown future tries to walk us back. But God is calling us to step out to step up and to walk in. So my question to you all today is, do you want a closer walk with God? Of course you do. What are you waiting on? What is defining you in this world? What's discouraging you? What is dominating you? What is controlling you in this world? That God has given us the record of his word, promising to help us, promising to guide us, promising to deliver us. Don't delay what he wants to do and what he can do for you, the impact he wants to make on you through and with you. Today is the day of salvation. It's not too late. There's nothing more important. Today you can look at the ground you're on that you thought was sullied and see redemption and see restoration. Today you can look forward and begin a life of victory and salvation. The biggest decision Joshua had to make in this chapter and that you have to make in your life is to choose to listen to God. It's the biggest decision you can make every day is where are you going to give your attention? What does verse eight tell us? Joshua, meditate on my word day and night, on my promises. And what is his promise over us? What's his command over us? Be strong and courageous, neither be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That is God's promise to you. God wants to empower you and transform you. He wants us to listen for his will and trust his plan. There, there's nothing in Joshua 1 but peace, confidence, assurance, and clarity. There's nothing but redemption, salvation, and victory. So I'm asking everybody today, what are you waiting for? I mean, really, what are you waiting for? God says, now arise, go over this obstacle into the life that God has promised you. No more excuses, no more delays, no more maybes or one days or I should or we'll see. A life of victory, a life of redemption. May the people of God take a stand today. May we step forward today. No more delays. Let us now arise and overcome for God is with us. This is our inheritance, a life of peace and love and joyous victory in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't you want that?
The door is open for all who will step out and step up and step into the promised land. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just one of the most encouraging chapters that you could ever give us in your word. A chapter that empowers us and equips us and enlightens us. A chapter that reminds us that you are for us, not against us. A chapter that reminds us that you have a plan for the people of God. You have a will for the people of God. If we will just trust in you and listen to you above everything else. God, I pray today that as we stand on the edge of a next step, maybe there's somebody here that has never taken that first step and they've never put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. They've never put, given him their life. They've never surrendered to him. Lord, that they wouldn't delay anymore. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe there's so many here that they've got to take a next step in their marriage, in their professional lives. They've got to take a next step in their private lives. They've been holding back. They've been hiding something. They've been making excuses. Lord, everybody here today, we, we are weak and we are afraid, but we've heard your word over us. Be strong and courageous. Don't be dismayed for the Lord, your God is with you. God, would you make your presence felt today that we might have the confidence and the courage and the strength to step out and take that step into the promised land, into the promised life. Lord, would you use this invitation to draw us all to take that next step? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand as we sing Sea of Victory. If you're looking for a victory in your life today, there's one available for you. Take that next step that God has given all of us in Christ.